I used to think that Bill Hybels actually made up that hard thing, but I found out it was D. Uh, so mine is a little different. This is my personal story from uh, one month ago. 5 a.m., April 1st, the familiar sound of an electronic alarm clock, and instantly my mind goes into defense mode. It's not a work day. Why do I have to get up this early? Uh, we didn't get home till nearly 10 last night. It's too early to get up. It's not that important to uh, attend a sunrise service on top of a hill. Maybe it'll be raining and nobody else would climb the hill anyway. Ah, but Roger, Roger will be there. And even if it's raining, we will too. Okay, God, I submit. Let's go. I roll out of bed and effectively grunt and mumble a conversation to Margot, which she understands and goes for the shower. I head for my chair for my reading time. I've got it in my mind to read the Easter story in Mark and Luke, plus my daily Proverbs. I note how almost sterile Mark's story flows, and from Luke, I wonder what it would have been like to be Cleopas, to have Jesus explain to me all the scriptures having to do with himself from Moses and all the prophets, and still not be able to see that it was him. Not really the Easter sensation I was looking for, but thought-provoking nonetheless. Uh, perfect timing, Margot yells. It's, uh, it's all yours. I close up Luke and fumble my way into the poor excuse for a hot tub wake-up of a shower. I do notice a couple of brighter stars outside as I slip the slider door open and let the dogs out. An apple, a banana, some pineapple chunks, and out the door we go. 6.15, perfect timing, right on schedule. Boots, check. Two coats, check. Shoes for afterwards, check. I mumble no rain to Margot, and she nods and says, yeah, it's a lot drier than last year. I turn off Andy Stanley uh, on the stereo and get Caleb tuned in for some pre-climb worship. Just about the time the truck warms up all the way, we arrive at the bottom of the field, and it's time for a hike. Across the muddy field and up the hill we go, unzip both those coats for the last five minutes. All the familiar stories, but halfway through, Roger makes the point that what we add to the equation is sin. Jesus has all the rest handled, but what we bring is sin. Again, not really the Easter I was looking for, but nonetheless, without my sin, Jesus' act on the cross would have been useless to me. He is risen, and we all repeat together, he is risen indeed. We linger till there's only about ten other people on the hill, then hoof it back down and across that muddy field. We have about an hour to kill before the service starts, so we chat and listen to Easter songs on the radio and drive back roads. We still arrive 15 minutes early. There's great worship, great message. The Luke, pas the Luke passage caught pastor's eye about Cleopas as well. Two more good songs, and we're back in the Toyota. It started to rain, and I mentioned how the hill timing was perfect. What do we want to do now? 
See, when you don't have kids to hunt eggs or a big family function to attend, even if you catch two services, you're still done by 11 o'clock. Back home, I suppose, about 35 miles an hour, Margot points out a fence about 300 yards long, lined with brand new daffodils and about 50 or 60 ewes with lambs running and playing in the field on Fry Road. It's the closest thing to make my heart feel Easter we've experienced all day. New life, hope, daffodils. But then I notice a dead lamb next to one of the last trees at the end of the field and silently wonder why that little guy ended up in the cold mud here on Easter morning. It started to rain harder now, and it seems a good day to drive slow on the back roads. So I take Seven Mile Lane instead of Highway 34. The first field on the right of Seven Mile Lane, I notice a splash in the ditch, and a little white head wobble back out of, out of the ditch and into the fence. I scan the field quickly and notice two things. No sign of sheep in the field except the fence that used to contain them. And secondly, the gate has been clipped open where the farmer has recently moved the sheep out. I hit the brakes and find the next driveway to turn around in and ask if Margot has seen the same thing I just did. You see, she's been deeper in sheep than I ever was and instantly knows that the lamb that small, about five days old, without mom's food or protection has absolutely zero possibilities. I'm a mechanic, and I've always got a pair of coveralls in my truck, so I grab them as I pull into the field and shut off the Yoda. As I open the door, the little gal tries to make an attempt to run, but fumbles, and swoop, I've got her. I wrap the legs of my coveralls around her belly and bundle the rest of them around her body. She's dripping wet, from her tumble into the ditch and shaking like a leaf. But as, as soon as she lands between Margot's feet in the, bottom of the, in the floorboard of the Toyota, she starts to try to nurse off the phone charger. We get that unplugged, and then she goes for the thumb drive plugged into the stereo. I know that Levi has bummer lambs, so, I, so we call him, no answer, strike one. Emilio, Emiliano has bummer lambs also. We try him, no luck, strike two. I know the lamb barn is off Lynn West Road, so we aim for there. All of the lambs we find there are more than a month old, already eating solid food, no five to seven pounders left. But we do find some milk replacer formula left over in the end of the lambing barn and a feeder nipple. I rip the instruction tag off the bottom of the bag and homeward bound we go. Three quarters of a cup of 100 degree yellow white lamb milk replacer later. Little Easter's tail quickly, or milk replacer later, quickly sucked from a discarded water bottle, and little Easter's tail takes on the waggle of a puppy dog when the car door shuts. Margot's phone rings, and we find out that the sheep got moved from that field Friday morning. Little Easter has spent most of Friday, all of Saturday, alone with no food or protection. I don't blame any of you for asking at this point, how does this apply? Well, here's my take. That little lamb died on Friday when she was napping in the sun 
and the trucks came and moved mom and all the other sheep away. She had zero hope of her own for the rest of Friday and all of Saturday. But when Sunday came, and because he is risen, we found her. Every one of us shares Friday and Saturday with little Easter, because until that stone rolled away, we had no hope of our own, any more than she did. How does this apply to leadership? In our outline, there's 28 lessons. I'll just read a couple. Number six, Bible reading. Number 12, gathering together. Number 14, worship. Number 27, gentleness. Number 28, a servant's heart. Podcasts have been my favorite part of leadership. I've listened to hundreds of them. Erwin McManus says that stories tell that people can identify, stories that people tell make you identify with help you to identify and make your point. I know it's not Easter, but here's your test. He is risen. You all pass. Thank you very much. Greetings. My name is Mike Itzinga, and I took the leadership class um, because my son, my youngest son, did it so that he could win his bride. Um, and he went through it and came through it with shining colors. And um, they, we were talking one day, and, and uh, he was talking with my other son and said, I'm going to do it again. I'll do it with you. And I said, I'll do it with you guys. It'll be a great father-son bonding experience. And it was a blast. It was really cool. We all know that there are natural laws that govern the world around us. For example, the law of inertia. An object at rest will remain at rest until it's acted upon by an unbalanced force. An object in motion will continue in motion until it's acted on by an unbalanced force. We see this every day. Every day. Example, the pitched baseball flies towards the catcher's glove and is stopped by that glove or it is hit by the batter's bat. In both cases, where am I at? (laughs) In both cases, the speed and direction of that ball is changed. The couch-surfing hubby watching sports will remain couch-surfing watching sports until the swat on the back of his head from his wife changes his direction and he is no longer couch-surfing and watching sports. Another example is the law of gravity. Any two masses attract each other with force equal to the constant of gravitation multiplied by the product of the two masses and divided by the square distance between them. Now, I personally don't really understand what all that means, but I am convinced that if I step out of a perfectly good airplane while it's in flight, I'm going to be attracted to the earth, to the ground, by the law of gravity, until the law of inertia takes hold. Splat. There's the law of sowing and reaping. Plant a cord seed, and what do you get? A 
corn plant. Plant a hydrangea seed. What do you get? A hydrangea plant. Plant a mustard seed. What do you get? A mustard plant. Understanding these rules are simple. We see them in action every day. This action will result or will result in this outcome. They're observable. They are constant. They are immutable. They are unchanging. In Pastor D's leadership class, we're taught the basic disciplines of the Christian life. And I actually, you know, thinking about this as I was preparing, decided I think that these are laws of minimum, minimum, uh, that God has established, and like all the laws that he's established, the law of gravity, the law of inertia. They are constant, immutable, unchanging, just like he is. What are the basic disciplines of the Christian life, and what are their outcomes? Number one is Bible reading. Joshua 1.8 says, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do all according to, according to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have your good success. Then you will make your way prosperous, then you will have good success. So there's an outcome from simply sitting down and reading your Bible. Psalms 1, 2, and 3 says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Read your Bible, prosper. Step out of a plane, fall. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Number two, prayer. Job thirty-three twenty-six says, He shall pray to God and God will delight in him. Pray, God will delight in you. He shall see God's face with joy, for God restores to man his righteousness. James five sixteen says, Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of the righteous man avails much. Pray, heal. Jump out of a plane, fall. Throw the ball, it gets hit. Number three is the confession of sin. If we confess our sins, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confess, be cleansed. 2 Timothy 2, 20 and 21 says, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Number four, worship. Did you know that the word worship appears in the Bible 8,629 times? It is the most often spoken command in the whole book. Worship not only gives God what is due to him, but also results in benefits for his people. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen through 15 says, And it shall be that if you earnestly obey my commands which I commanded you today to love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart, with all your soul. 
Then I will give you the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the latter rain, that you may gather in your grain your new wine and your oil. And I will send grass to your fields for your livestock, that you may be eat, you may eat and be filled. There's examples of guidance. You can find one of those in Acts 13, 2 and 3. Verse chapter 2, good Lord. Chapter 13, verse 2 and 3. Deliverance in Acts 16, 25 through 26. Joy in 1 Chronicles 29, 21 and 22. A true sense of God's presence can be found in 2 Chronicles 5, 13 through 14. A deeper sense of Jesus' lordship. A boldness to witness. The list is endless. There's all kinds of benefit for it. 8,629 times. Number five, giving. And this is probably one of the most straightforward examples that I found in the Bible of do this, this will occur. In Luke 6, 38, it says, give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Give sparingly, you'll get sparingly. Give liberally, you'll get liberally. Number six, seeking wisdom. Proverbs 4, 7 says, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom. And in all you're getting, get understanding. Proverbs 8.11 says, For wisdom is better than rubies, and all the things that one may desire cannot be compared to her. In 2 Chronicles 1.11 and 12, God said to Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked riches, or wealth, or honor, or the life of your enemies... Nor have you asked for long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself, that you may judge my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. And I will give you riches and wealth and honor, such as none of the kings have had who were before you, nor shall any have who come after you. Number seven. Gathering together. Acts 2, 46 and 47 say, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Matthew eighteen twenty says, For where there are two or three gathered in my name, I am there in the midst. He's right here, right now, with us in this place because we're here together. We're gathered together. Jesus is there. And what more can you ask? In his presence is fullness of joy. He's here with us. Now, some might come to the place, and I've had a couple of discussions with people um, about what I was going to be speaking about. And a thought was granted, was given to me that um, thinking that the basic disciplines of the Christian life um, might be kind of leaning on works, possibly earning our way into heaven or God's good graces. And as I thought about that question, 
yeah, you know, there's issues with doing things and thinking you can earn your way, but Jesus paid the price. We who believe in him and know him and love him, we're granted entry into heaven and fellowship with him because we've believed in him, because of what he's done, not anything that we do. And I started digging around, and I think Paul addresses the question about whether this is just works rather well in Titus chapter 3, 1 through 8. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work. To speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Not by works of righteousness, oh wait, stop, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior towards man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. So I'm going to close just by saying, like I said, I, I thought really deeply and very hard about labeling these things laws, the basic discipline. And I believe the Lord showed me these are the laws, of, these are minimums, laws of minimum. Do this, this will be the result. Pray, worship, give, gather, all of them. So I encourage you greatly to practice the basic disciplines of the Christian life. And if you don't know what they are after this, you can ask me, you can ask Pastor D, and we'll tell you. Thank you. Good morning. My name's Shane, and... Uh, Last year, I was invited here to watch my friend's leadership speech, and I sat back there, and uh, it was pretty obvious these guys had gone through something to really grow their self-confidence, and I couldn't help but wonder what it was um, that they had gone through. They were able to write out a small sermon and stand up here and, and speak like they were, so I signed up, and uh, I will tell you, there are 28 different lessons that you go through. They remind me of food. And you get served a different dish every week, along with a memory verse to chew on and some great books. Some of the lessons include goal setting, basic disciplines, prayer, worship, the church, time management, being positive, grit, bitterness, that was a hard one to swallow, and the fear of God, which is what I have chose to talk about this morning, along with some other really important things that I've learned. Um, the fear of the Lord is knowing that he sees everything we do 
hears everything we say, knows everything we think, and he rewards good behavior and disciplines wrong behavior. The first thing that I can think of that the fear of God has made me very much aware of um, is forgiveness. And there was a guy at work uh, not too long ago who uh, told me off pretty good. And uh, I forgive him, but as time went on, I would have a bad day or I would recall him and remember him. And I would start to feel like, man, I wish I or I could have said this or And then I would stop myself and realize, whoa, I must not have forgiven him if I'm still feeling that in me. So I need to forgive. Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 through 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The second thing the fear of God has made me more aware of uh, is my mouth and the words that come out of it and the conversations I get into. I mess up on this one all the time, especially at work. But I will say, though, that I am very much more conscious and careful, uh, more than I ever have been in my life. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 36, Jesus says, But I say to you, that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account for it in the day of judgment. That's kind of scary. There is a memory verse that we learned that um, has to do with this a lot, and I'd like to share it with you. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 through 32. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. So uh, there's one other thing that has become um, big on my radar uh, from the fear of the Lord, and that is sexual immorality. It's really easy to mess up here, um, especially, you know, nowadays with the smartphones, and it's just all right there, and it's really easy to mess up. So it's, I've learned it's uh, super important to take the necessary steps that you have to take so that you're careful with what you put in front of your eyes. Um, I can say that the, the number one thing to do there is to go to Jesus. And the second one is to get into an accountability group. Have some brothers in Christ around you who uh, affirm you and Hold you accountable. Okay, so now I'll just go into the lesson itself. And um, in the lesson, we learned that there are a number of different aspects to the fear of God. And uh, one of the aspects, the first one there in the lesson, is to look at creation and just have a real strong sense of awe and wonder at it, and to think, "Wow, that man!" And so I thought of Job when I read that in the lesson, and when God is asking Job a series of questions towards the end of the story, it starts out in chapter 38, verse 3, when God says to Job, brace yourself like a man, I will question you and you shall answer me. One of the questions God asks him is in chapter 38, verse 31, when he says to him, can you bind the cluster of the Pleiades or loose the belt of Orion? 
So I know Orion's belt, but I had never heard of uh, the Pleiades, so I looked this up online and found out that um, the Pleiades is a cluster of stars about 400 light years away. It's the closest star cluster to Earth. And uh, I would encourage you today after church, if you're, you know, when you're kicking back in your house, get on the internet and uh, look up the images that they've taken with the Hubble telescope of the Pleiades. And they're beautiful. They're just really something to see. Um, I would also encourage you that uh, this summer, when the weather finally starts to clear up, to if when you're in your backyard and you get done barbecuing and the stars come out or whatever you're doing, how you find them is you look up at Orion's belt and then you look over to the right and up just a little bit and you'll see them there, just about the size of a nickel, just a cluster of stars. And there are about seven of them visible to the naked eye, but I found out that um, there are over a thousand of them there burning. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And verses 4 through 5 says, Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Um, There are a bunch of blessings given to those by God who, who fear him. One of them ties in really well with all this talk about the stars and the heavens, and it's Psalm 103.11. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. Along with light years of mercy toward those who fear him, there are some others I'd like to share. Psalm 34.7. The angel of the Lord encamps all around those who fear him and delivers them. Psalm 103, uh, 13 through 14. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. And Psalm 128. That is one of my favorites, and I hope that it is true of me someday. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you eat the labor of your hands, you shall be happy, and it shall be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. Your children like olive plants all around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. So I was thinking, God put the stars there and he put us here. And Jesus says that the very hairs on our head are numbered. And um, the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, Verses 26 through 28. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord and hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Um, God is present at those stars. He put them there. And he's present here with us. And uh, there's just one last verse here I'd like to share with you. And um, it's John chapter 15, verses 4 through 5. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself 
unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. And that's another aspect to the fear in the Lord is without Jesus, we can't do anything. And uh, so some of the major things besides this stuff right here that I'm going to take with me from this class is uh, to be a thermostat, not a thermometer. And a thermometer goes along with the temperature and a thermostat changes it. And how you do that is you be faithful to God and um, he gives you his authority. And then you can change the temperature of things at the workplace or wherever. And uh, you do that by being faithful. And by being faithful, there's a lot of things that come into that, like reading your Bible every day. Um, like Mike was saying, the blessings and the laws of that. Uh, memorizing scripture, praying, uh, fellowship. Uh, a big one for me, and I'll be honest with you, after this class, I started to get lazy. And a big one that I started to drop off um, from was the morning prayer commitment. During the class, this stuff was working great. And then after the class, I start getting lazy. And, uh, oh, I'm not, not going to pray this morning. And I remember in class, Dee saying that, you know, our flesh is not inclined to do the will of God. So it's hard to pray sometimes and to read your Bible. So it became very much uh, more evident to me and more real that, uh, as to the reason why that, uh, these disciplines have to be done daily. And I wish I could say I would have learned it just by hearing it. But sometimes I, I have to live it. And then I, oh my gosh, I wish I, you know. So anyway, if I could say anything, it's uh, write out a morning prayer commitment and stick to it. And uh, read the word every day, fellowship. And if you want to sign up for the leadership class, uh, which I really recommend it, sign up for the class and take the su- uh, Saturday night class if you really just want to pig out spiritually. Because after class, you come in here, and there's a church service. Hear a good sermon, sing, and then after that, there's food in the foyer. Then after that, prayer. Then you're back at it Sunday morning. So there's a whole bunch here. (laughs) And uh, I just want to say thank you so much to Dee for that class, and uh, thank you for letting me come up here and speak. God bless you all, and um, I love you. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the men <clears throat> that went through the class and the work they did and the sacrifice they made. I pray that you will keep it in their heart and their minds. They'll not lose it, and they will just uh, continually uh, serve you with their life in the days ahead. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Ushers are passing out some cards. I encourage you to fill those out. On the back, there's a place for prayer requests. About 500 people pray the prayer letter every week, and so anything you put in there will get prayed for a bunch. If you would like uh, to be in the leadership class, just like to get information, talk to me about it, you can put that on the card, and I'll follow up with you uh, via text, email, phone call, whatever. But it is a life changer, and uh, you, uh, I just uh, work and teach and train so that taking and making the hard choices that result in abundant life and great fruit is becomes a way of life for you. So it's a good thing to do. It benefits every area of your life, your marriage, your parenting, your job, <clears throat> your walk with God. And so consider it if you haven't done it. And 
fill all that in, drop it in the offering plate, and um, when, it, when it comes.